And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spataro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. How are you guys doing? All right. How are you? Okay, my throat's a little sore. I hope I'm not getting sick. Mm. Might have to mute a couple times to hack and wheeze, but I got my lemon water next to me, so. Mm. Well, at least you mute. I, I feel like lately, the last couple, I don't know, like videos and things where people stream live, they don't even care about that it's like yeah, they spend the whole uh -huh. video hacking their lungs out and i'm just kind of like uh i don't want to listen to you hack your lungs out for two hours or whatever at least i wasn't like skiing down a mountain or something <laughs> <laughs> on a helicopter to mars <laughs> that's great what the <laughs> Can you hear me? Yes, you and that entire mountain you just skied down. That was great. So I I'm, I mean, not by very much, but I mean, I'm probably going to backseat direct or whatever. But I mean, I, I don't know. It's 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 pretty clear what's in that script, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, most of it's just kind of, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's still going to be a regular show, but just, you know, the the grading and the going through the pages and all that stuff is kind of a little different than how we normally do it and then i i don't know they 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 used to have this thing they don't do it so much anymore but you know like dr bill would always do his arnold voice and then they'd go into these like vocal warm-ups where they would do this whole you know la 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 like they're they're like they're getting ready for a you know you know i don't know it reminded me of like old acting bull you know, where we do like, you know, you love New York, you need New York, you love unique, unique New York, you know, and, and all that <laughs> bullshit. But it's like, you know, they're, they're always kind of like, come on, do it now, over here. Do it you, now, you know, come on, like all, come all, kill me. Come kill me, I'm over here. You know, like that, that kind of <laughs> And anything else? Do you guys want to do some la-la-las for me? Like, just to get that on the recording? No. <laughs> no. All right, that's great. Back to the bin. Hey everybody, hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Derek William Crabb and joining me tonight on Back to the Bins are Michael Praviti. Hey, what's up? Anyone want to have a death match? And Justin Barber. Hello. 
Yeah, so I guess long time Back to the Bins listeners may recognize my voice and Mike's voice from previous episodes of Back to the Bins. I was thinking about this because at first I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I've been on, you know, I've been on a couple shows. I talked about a Green Hornet comic and I talked about the Thing comic, and then I was like, oh yeah, like me and Mike were on when we did the whole Avengers Spotlight issue for that Acts of Vengeance podcast crossover and everything. So me and Mike have both been on back to the bins before but it's exciting for us is this is this is justin's first time on the show and on the two true freaks network and stuff you know you you may have surmised that paul spataro is out on administrative leave so demonzo core made us all an offer we couldn't refuse and we were kindly asked to outsource an episode for back to the bins for assistant editors month so here we are and you know as per the mandate of the show we, we each have a comic book back issue to discuss but i thought maybe like before we went down like straight into the the back issues and everything you know maybe we could just do some some comic book small talk you know just shoot the breeze about comics cuz we don't we don't do that that much anymore and and sometimes People on on back to the bins will just kind of talk about you know what they've been up to like the state of the union in comics or at least you know kind of like what what have you bought lately in stores or or what have you been reading lately and I just I I didn't go too deep into it like too extreme like I just kind of jotted some notes of like you know stuff I've been reading this year and what I liked and what I didn't really care for or whatever but I mean I I figured to give everybody kind of like an idea of, of who they're going to be listening to on this show tonight. Like maybe we could talk about that. So, I mean, what about you guys? Like, do you want to like tell everybody like w what you've been up to? Like, what have you been reading, purchasing lately? Have they been, you know, new books? Have they been back issues? Like what, what have you guys been up to as far as comic book land goes? I, you know, I, I keep appraised of stuff like, you know, in Marvel for the most part, like I read, you know, most of the main Spider-Man books and like Iron Man and like stuff like that. But I don't, there's nothing, sadly, there's nothing I'm particularly enjoying at the moment. Like, you know, I kind of, I feel the need to be appraised of everything that's happening in Spider-Man's world. And like, you know, I, I was reading that Dan Slott like Spider-Man book and I was like, you know, recently reminded of why I never liked Dan Slott on spider-man so like yeah and then zeb wells run is not that great either with so uh yeah i, I mean i'm not I, I get most of my comic book joy by like rereading old stuff in my bookcase like nowadays i feel like so what what about like you know store visits and stuff like that like what's the last like physical comic you bought mike Hmm. Well, I just like speaking of the comic I'm going to bring tonight, uh, like I was wondering if like Udon like had like had any updates about like new Street Fighter comics oh, or whatever. Okay. okay. And uh, like I just looked and I was like, oh, they finally really I didn't even notice, but they finally released that like Sagat Origins like hardcover oh, like in okay. April. So I just threw that in my Amazon like, you know, cart and like ordered that. So, cool. yeah, and then I guess they're they're also doing like a four issue like tie into Street Fighter six, which comes out in June on most consoles. So like I'll probably check that out. So and how about you, Justin? Like what what have you been up to in, in comic book land lately? Like you've been reading current books, you've been reading back issues. Current stuff that I'm reading that I genuinely enjoy is Marvel's Moon Knight and Daredevil. Like, those are really solid books okay. month to month. I really enjoy those. DC, I'd probably go with World's Finest. That's usually a fun book. And Nightwing is usually pretty solid. Probably IDW, like some of their Star Trek output. 
I usually enjoy those books, which I exclusively review on the Bot Talk website in advance. Yay. And then um, I've also been reading um, the first Wolverine epic collection. And you guys know that I'm not a huge fan or support, supporter of, of the Wolverine, but um, I, I don't know. I kind of felt like I wanted to like read some of these older issues that I'd never read before. Like I ha- I owned a lot of these because I picked up these issues because I knew they were you know valuable and collectible, but I just mm. I never read them. So I was like, you know, I should probably give these a go because most people seem to really like these. So I've been reading this epic collection, and I really like what I'm reading so far. It's been a, a lot of like really fun stories. I like, like I was telling you, I especially like the one where Wolverine is slowly hunting down these guys who were like oh, yeah, yeah. up to no good in um, uh, Israel, I believe. And he's just kind of like, it's like when it gets down to that last soldier, man, like, I, like that's some good stuff. I like that. Cool. And then, and then, how about like actual physical ventures? Like, what, what's the when's the last time like you went to a comic shop and did you buy something new, or was it back issues, or it would have been back in January, and I bought the first issue of the new Justice Society ongoing because I that's oh, a book okay. that I like, okay. but it's only had three issues and there was a big delay between issue like one and two, I think. So I I do enjoy that book. And then I also bought the new gargoyles number one, because, you know, like Michael, like I enjoy, you know, Disney's uh, the gargoyles. So I was, I was like, Oh, they're coming back. And it's a continuation of the stories from the TV show. So I picked that up because I really like the first issue. I've been reading that too, but like, I feel like I don't, I feel like I shouldn't get attached to it or anything Mm. considering gargoyles track record with like new fiction or whatever. Okay. Yeah. As for myself, uh, I, I mostly, I mean, I, I still read comics on a regular basis, but I feel like my reading is, diminished a great deal. I mean, I, I just went back and looked at, you know, what I was reading this year just to see, you know, w- what I've been reading and what I've been up to and, you know, not counting, you know, stuff we do for podcasts like podcast prep or, you know, if I'm if I'm reading a comic because maybe somebody's covering it on their podcast, like, I'm you know, or, or, you know, things for like research purposes, if I'm looking up a piece of art or if I'm doing something for history of comics on film, like I'm not counting any of that kind of stuff, but just, you know, stuff that I'm reading for pure entertainment, you know, for distraction. I mean, like Justin, I I haven't been reading all of the IDW Star Trek books, but I I was intrigued by the whole current Star Trek and Star Trek defiant, you know, the whole like, you know, kind of fan servicey type titles that they, they put out recently. So I, I haven't, stopped reading those yet. I don't know how much longer they're going to last, but I, you know, I'm, I'm reading those. I'm still reading most of Boom Studios' Dune comics. Like right now they're doing House Harkonnen. So like I, I've been trying to keep up with those. Like Justin said, World's Finest has been pretty good for DC. I, I, I guess I, I, I'd say like the, the stuff that, that I've read from DC that I can say I enjoyed, like we, we both talked about this the other day, Justin, but I read that first issue of Shazam too, and that was pretty good. Yeah, and that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Superman Space Age, I, I think I'd say I enjoyed that. As far as like old back issues or things that were on my list that I had always meant to read that I had never read, I, I finally read Camelot 3000 this year, and I'm, I'm happy I did that, you know, a 12 issue maxi series. So it's a, you know, fairly complete story from beginning to end and all that kind of stuff. Some other things that were on my list that I wasn't too, uh, I don't know. I, I, 
I don't know. I, di I didn't like it that much, right? Like, it, I, I read Dark Crisis, and that was kind of, eh, for me. I mean, I thought some of the lead-ins, like Justice League Incarnate and Infinite Frontier, were exciting, like, like a good teases, but then I don't know that I thought Dark Crisis really delivered. As far as, like, Marvel goes, like, I'm reading the current Ghost Rider book, and I do like that. And then I'd say most stuff has been like I, I'm the guy with the onion on his belt, like that they're catering to with all these sort of I, I guess I call them like retro books, like where it's like, you know, Joe Fix It and Silver Surfer Rebirth and Gambit. And they just came out with like a Warlock Rebirth one. And they all kind of have like creative teams or at least, you know, maybe the writer or something like that, that, you know, so, somebody who has a, a connection to the character like Peter David was writing the Joe Fixit series or, you know, Ron Martz and Ron Lim, you know, were writer artist on Warlock Rebirth and Silver Surfer Rebirth or like Chris Claremont was the writer on the, the Gambit, you know, quote unquote retro book. So I, I, I will say like they're they're all you know, I don't know, I guess they're miniseries to a degree, but they're, I don't know, I, I enjoyed those because I sort of, you know, could follow those and they were set in worlds that I was fairly familiar with. And then um, I, I started trying the new Exo Manowar Unconquered series because that was the book that Liam Sharp was doing the art for and I do like his art. As far as like physical stuff, the, the last time I went to a comic shop to buy something was when that Death of Superman 30th anniversary special came out. I went down and spent the, what was it, like $10 or something to get that or whatever it was. And so I, I went to a store and picked that up. And as far as like what Mike was talking about, like ordering stuff online, I'm a pretty big advocate. I'm, I'm a fan of the DC Absolute Editions. I just really like the format. It's not quite as big as Treasury size, but it's, you know, fairly oversized format. And, and I have a bunch of them that are filling up like one bookshelf that they actually fit on. And I still have room for maybe a few more. And the most recent one I got was the absolute swamp thing, the one by Bernie Wrightson and the colors are just outstanding on it. I know that's usually the drawback of all these kind of collected editions and reprint books. Like they, they either try to recolor it and it doesn't look right, or they don't capture the essence of the original, but the, the, the guys they got to work on that book, like, it's better than the newsstand, but has the essence of the newsstand on the new paper, if that makes sense. Like they didn't they didn't try to recolor it to to make it fit with the current format. They they kept true to like the original intent, I think, of the colorist. Right. So it's like I, anyway, it's it, it was very well done. So as far as physical stuff, like I said, Death of Superman 30th anniversary special and absolute swamp thing. So, yeah, so hopefully that gives everybody a good idea of kind of, you know, where we're coming from in, in comic book land and all that kind of stuff. But like we were asked uh, to put together a, a, a traditional back to the bins episode for assistant editors month. So as is the mandate of this show, each of us have brought a comic book back issue from DC Comics, Marvel Comics and an independent. I'm I'm independent. Yeah, me too. I'm, whatever you said, independent. Hey, what do you say we both be independent together, huh? So, what do you guys think? What Which one of these titles do you want to start with first? 
you want to just go in chronological order? Yes, that's I was assuming yeah we were just okay. going to go in chronological. All right, cool. So then uh, so so that makes my comic that I brought the first in the chronology. So I brought New Teen Titans issue number 20. The publisher is DC Comics. The cover date was May 1986, but the on-sale date was February 20th, 1986. The cover price was a whopping dollar and 50 cents. The title of the story is called Past Imperfect. The cover credits belong to George Perez. Uh, the writer slash editor, the, the infamous writer slash editor moniker, it belongs to Marv Wolfman. Penciler is Eduardo Barreto. Embellisher, Romeo Tangal. Letterer, John Costanza. Colorist, Adrian Roy. The title page, Past Imperfect, opens with the shadow of the assassin Cheshire, covering the office building of her intended target, the director of KwaZulu's Black African League. Cheshire strangles the government official and plants marked money that will link him to a Russian spy network at the direction of her employer. The desired result is to set back the liberation of the black people of South Africa. When Cheshire receives payment from Mr. Horn, she returns $300, saying they have overpaid her with dirty money. But this is in fact a double cross, as she finds Horn's cause detestable. Now when Cheshire phones in a random tip to the South African internal security, she can link Horn to the Russian spy network with the $300 or marked money that she left with him. Cheshire then returns to her master, Wen Chang, insistent on continuing the search for the father of her child. Meanwhile, at Titan's Tower, Wonder Girl has assembled a new team of Titans at the behest of King Faraday and the U.S. government to provide security at a secret U.S.-Russian peace summit. Wally West has just taken up the mantle of the Flash, as Barry Allen has just died in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Garth, also known as Aqualad, is still reeling over the death of Tula, also known as Aqua Girl, which took place during the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Jason Todd has been Robin for a little over two years of publishing time, but is fairly brand new to being invited to join the Titans. Hank Hall, also known as Hawk, is ready to bust some commie heads, but is also dealing with the death of his brother Dawn, also in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Notice the pattern here? Speedy, also known as Roy Harper, asks the question on everyone's mind, why, specifically, were, was this group of Titans selected for the security detail? The answer is that they have faced the hired killer being sent to the summit by Soviet radicals before, Jade, also known as Cheshire. Confiding in Jason that she is worried about the emotional state of the new team, Donna Troy nearly crashes the T-Jet into the World Trade Center before pulling up at the last moment. Soon the team arrives at Zermatt, Switzerland, the site of the peace conference. With the snowy weather getting to the team, they take refuge at a fireplace within the nearby resort before the ambassadors arrive. As the team is in deep thought over recent events, Aqualad's enhanced hearing picks up Cheshire and her men outside. Flash is the first on the scene, and while he gets the drop on Cheshire's men, Cheshire uses a special heat-seeking rifle that ultimately finds its target in the Flash's left shoulder. The hired killers have set a bomb to go off at the resort, but the team manages to escape before the blast kills them. Aqualad and Speedy are down for the count, but not dead, which, oddly enough, Cheshire breathes a sigh of relief over. 
Hawk starts beating down Cheshire's goons, and she is about to shoot Hawk in the back, but Jason knocks her over, causing her shot to miss. Wonder Girl grabs Cheshire with her magic lasso, but turns all of her attention to Hawk when he goes in for the kill with one of the hired thugs. She loses it and nearly kills Hawk until Jason convinces her to stop. At an emotional breaking point, Wonder Girl turns over leadership to Robin and walks off into the snow, leaving a panicked Jason Todd to wonder what the hell he should do next. You might even say, Wonder Girl's got no place to go. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! With insight beyond his years, Jason realizes Donna's been looking to him to have all the answers because she associates the Robin costume with Dick Grayson. He snaps her out of it while revealing he's got a bit of a crush on Donna. Meanwhile, Cheshire boots Flash to the face, knocking him out cold, but not before dropping the hint to tell the other Titans that Cheshire remembers, quote-unquote. The next morning, the Titans appear to be clueless about Cheshire's little hint. Since Wally is wounded, he stays behind, while the other Titans take a series of cable cars to meet up with King Faraday at the top of the Klein Matterhorn, the highest cable car station in Europe. When Jason and Roy break off from the rest of the team, Jason's detective skills that he's been picking up from Batman come into play. He noticed that Roy's eyes changed when Wally told the team about Cheshire's message. Cheshire then busts in on a cable car rocket pack and tackles Jason. Cheshire's search for her lover, the father of her child, is over. He is none other than Roy Harper, undercover government agent, also known as Speedy of the Teen Titans, and Jay wants him dead. To be continued. Yeah, I know, I, I, I didn't pick a a done-in-one here, but uh, I, I liked the issue so much, and I figured this was this was good enough. It's a it's a pretty it's a pretty dense and meaty meal, so so I picked it anyway. So I guess I guess we'll start out with by talking about the cover. So I guess before I I talk about the cover a little bit, how about you guys? Like, what what do you think of this cover? It's great. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I like it. Like, I mean, I I don't know if I any have anything specific to say about it, but I, I really like it. Well, I mean, it's by George Perez, right? So that's why everybody's kind of in awe of it. And the the cover logo says the new Teen Titans are back, but then the new is crossed out at the top and original is written overhead because the lineup is very much like the original lineup of Teen Titans. And then at the bottom, there's the little overlay that says, and they're better than ever, you know? So it's, it's really selling the hell out of this new team. And the new team is made up of the Jason Todd, Robin, Hawk, Hank Hall, Wally West Flash, Aqualad Garth, Wonder Girl Donna Troy is at the forefront because she's leading the team, and then Speedy Roy Harper, and then in the backdrop there's this like circular vision, you know, like it, it's 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 got some white on the cover, so Paul Spataro may not like that, but basically in the circular image it's got Titan's Tower and kind of like the New York City scape backdrop and everything. So for me, like this is this is fairly iconic and it's a full team shot. I mean anybody who who owned this would be pleased as punch that they they own this cover, you know, and and anybody who owns the issue is probably pleased as punch that they they have the issue as well. So I, I think it's a pretty cool cover. And and I guess we can go on to discuss the the story and the art and 
maybe give a little bit of background for this issue. So like for reference, I guess the, the, the reason that why, why I picked this is one, I am fond of this comic book. I do like it a lot. It was on one of my like top 10 Jason Todd stories because I'm like, this is like one of the only stories I think post crisis where Jason Todd is probably painted in a, in a decent light, right? Like he actually like sort of, you know, does good or whatever they, you know, they weren't trying to make him a jerk just yet. So everybody would vote to kill him off and stuff like that for, for context crisis 12 crisis on infinite earth 12 came out two weeks before this issue and flash number one that features Wally West doesn't come out until like almost over a year later in March of 1987. And so the other thing lately on, on our show, we've been having Mike read a bunch of Wally West flash comics. That's been our secret agenda, you know, get Mike to read a goddamn Wally West comic or whatever we've been doing lately. And I when, when I, when I thought about this issue and then I, you know, me, I was thinking sort of in a, in a Jason Todd frame of mind. But then when I looked at the issue, I was all, God damn, like this is perfect because it shows Wally like at the nascent stage of being the flash. Like we, we had him read the return of Barry Allen. And then we just read for jail may a brave and the bold issue eight. And I feel like, you know, that one is at the height and one is maybe, you know, Wally leaving, you know, the, the height of his greatness. But this is like, this is like babies, you know, like, like not, you know, it's not, you know, Wally West is kid flash, but it's like, he's, he just like Barry just died and he just put on the costume. Like this is practically his first mission as the flash. Right. So I just thought, wow, that's, that's so cool. And and you get this great like snapshot of all these characters almost like immediately post-crisis. So, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of like a cool thing to see. I don't know. Have you have, have either of you guys read this issue before? No. Negative. Okay. okay. And I mean, I mean, was this something like, I, I don't know, like, did, did it, was it interesting to read something that was like so fresh after crisis? Like, or it, it just kind of, you just took it as it came. No, what was interesting to me, and, you know, I'm not very familiar with, like, you know, DC Comics at this time, but I felt like the team was in a very, like, Marvel sort of, like, era, like, vibe. Like, I feel like everyone was, like, all had damage and baggage and weren't getting along with each other and, like, had, at, like, you know, everyone had an attitude and, you know, and I was like, you know, I was kind of like, oh, man, when Jason Todd is the nice, like, even tempered one, like, that's <laughs> like, you know, you like, know, you're you know. in trouble. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that was kind of Marv Wolfman's. I mean, you know, there, there was that period where we were reading like a bunch of Titans comics and stuff. And that was always the the Marv Wolfman mandate. I mean, he, he was one of the guys that tried to, you know, quote unquote, Marvelize DC comics. And, and I, I would think new teen Titans is, is the, the successful version of that. Right. It was a, it was an incredibly popular title and, and it was something that, you know, because of the writer artist team, like everybody was reading it. It was one of DC's highest selling books, you know, that, that whole nine yards. So, I mean, that, that tracks with me, you know, 
I, I, the other reason why I, I sort of, I, you know, I picked this too was I thought maybe specifically Mike would find it interesting because I know, you know, you and I, I mean, at least to a certain degree, we, we've been fond of watching the Young Justice animated series, and we've read a lot of the tie-in comics and all that stuff. So you, you've, you've made, uh, e even though you might not have read as many of the the source material comics, like you've made certain emotional connections to certain characters. So I, I thought like this might be fascinating for you to see like the whole Roy Harper, you know, Cheshire yeah, was, Jade stuff ask. like from from the beginning, you know. But like I was gonna ask, like, was this like a reveal that, yeah. like, you know, I was good. This is the reveal because like, I, yeah, I no, was like, nobody, it certainly plays I, I'm, like I'm that. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time you see Leon in in a comic book, and and this is definitely the first time anybody knows that that he had a daughter with Cheshire. So I mean, this is. Again, just like it's kind of like super fresh in terms of like Wally just becoming the Flash. Like this is like super fresh in terms of of you know Roy Harper being a father and 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 that whole nine yards, that whole sort of drama or or whatever. You know, it was also funny that like like for a second like I had to like mentally like readjust a couple times after like seeing the cover and reading the first few issue the first few pages. Or with with the Titans, because at the very first I was like, is that supposed to be Dick Grayson? And then I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense if Wally's in the Flash outfit, because it's got to be during crisis or, you know, after crisis. So that means, you know, Dick is Nightwing and, you know, Jason Todd should be Robin. And then I was like, OK, that is Jason Todd. So, like, I had to, like, you know, first of all, like mentally, like, you know, order my uh, expectations and like realize who was who. But. Yeah, and I, the the other reason why I picked this too was because of Jason Todd, like because I'm fond of the issue, because I think it's a good showcase in a positive light for Jason, and and I know how much Justin likes Jason, and and we've talked about that and Red Hood and everything, so I just thought that'd be something fun for for Justin to read as well. Like I I find this like super fascinating because it's like technically. I mean, you can't argue this is post-crisis, but this is so early post-crisis. Like, it's one of those things where if you actually discuss it, then then the old wizard Shazam will come out and tell us all that that way lies madness. Because, like, if you if you sit and think about it, right, this is probably the Jason Todd that's a redhead that, like, dyes his hair black. Do you know what I mean? It's probably the Jason Todd that's, like, not right because think of it it's post-crisis jason todd but not the post-crisis jason todd that has stolen the the hubcaps off the batmobile like this is not like that hasn't even happened yet like that doesn't that comic doesn't even exist do you know what i mean like like that's that's like nascent like the, no one's even thought of it yet right like so like I, I don't know. To me, like, I maybe I'm a goofball, but I get all excited about that stuff because I'm like, oh, this is so cool, you know? And, like, I mean, aside from, like... For the man who has everything. Which, by the way, Jason Todd owns f***ing Mongol in that, so take that, Jason Todd haters. But, but <laughs> I was like, this is... I mean, outside of that story, like, this is probably, like, the best... To me, like, this is, like, the best Jason Todd story there is. Like, that that like i don't know like that that's my opinion on it but since you haven't read this before like what i'm curious justin like what was your take on the whole jason todd donna troy thing and 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 the whole nine yards kind of like you're saying like i was really surprised 
the way he was written and treated in, in this issue. Like, it's just, it's just so weird. I, I wish there was, like, more of this because it's, like, I get the weight that's on Donna's shoulder, and she's kind of just, she's, she sees the Robin costume, and she's just like, oh, I can rely on Robin, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not Dick, it's Jason. And I was just like, oh, man, is she, like, like, she's going to rely on Jason. Like, that's probably not a good idea. Right, right, right. But it's an interesting dynamic, though, because, you know, it, it leads to some interesting things. Yeah, like, it's just kind of like, Mike, it took me a minute to get my footing. I was like, okay, when exactly is this going on? Like, that's not that's not Dick, that's Jason in the costume. I, my reading of Teen Titans is, like, I'm the least familiar with this era. Like, I've read more, like, you know, stuff beyond this era. I I don't know, like, I've always meant to go back and read more of this era, and I've read probably the first two trades of the Wolfman Perez era, and I just never got around to reading further. Like, I really liked what I read. I just, it's one of those things I just never got around to reading further. But, like, you know, it took me a minute to get my footing, kind of like Mike, and I was like, okay, this is what's going on. And then I was like, well, there's some interesting stuff going on in here. And then uh, something that stood out to me was, like, what's going on with Garth, and then... Mm. On top of that, it's like Garth and Wally are both dealing with someone who passed away that was really important to their life. They have complete opposite reactions. Like, Garth is just depressed. He's like, all right, I'll go on this mission. It's not like anything else matters. It's not like I'm doing anything better. And then Wally, he has a line where he's like, he's like, I don't know what Garth's doing. Like, he needs to just devote himself to, like, honoring Tula's legacy or her memory mm. or something. And I was just like, that's such a Wally thing to say. Yeah. But yeah. it's also like that's not Garth, and it it's different. It's like Tula wasn't his mentor; they didn't have that kind of relationship. Right, right. It was romantic. It's just I, I don't know. Like while he's saying that from a nice place, he means well, but he just I think well, him him dealing with his own trauma with losing Barry, like he just it just it's not you know it's like apples and oranges. It's it's, yeah. it's just not yeah. the same. He can't do that. Like Garth can't. Garth can't like honor Tula's legacy, but like putting on her costume or, or or like doing you know taking up whatever like cause celeb like Tula had like it, it it just that doesn't work. But I I I thought that was interesting too. In addition to the Jason and the Jason and Donna stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's it's the difference, like you said, between a, a mentor and a lover. It's like mm -hmm. somebody had a piece of them. You know, if if, if you're if you're going with the idea that you you know, the, the person you decide to spend the rest of your life with is and always has been a, a part of your complete whole, you know, for, for Garth, it's like part of him died, you know, like, and, and that's why he's in that depressed state that he's in where, whereas Wally, it's not like the love of his life died, but it is like the person who meant the most to him, you know, the person who showed him the ropes, who taught him how to be a hero, you know, that was, you know, his his uncle or whatever, you know, like the whole nine yards, right. That was him, you know, Oh, I, I need to honor his memory, you know, and, 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 and he had that strong feeling about that. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's totally like apples and oranges and everything. And then I guess, you know, for, for me, I felt like I was catering to, you know, in, in addition to, to my many masters, which are, you know, Justin and Mike, I was kind of, catering to i guess the audience uh, with back to the bins because as far as i know they they haven't covered this issue before and and we kind of went to great lengths to make sure we weren't 
doing any reruns or repeats of things that people had brought to this podcast before. And then also, my hope is, I don't know if I'm right about this or not, but I, I, I have a I have a strong suspicion that Scott Gardner won't be upset, meaning that he, he won't be like, oh, man, you covered this book that I really wanted to cover and I wasn't around to cover it because oftentimes on the show, like he'll he'll mention that, you know, I don't know, maybe Bill or, or Paul or somebody, some guest brought a book and he's like, oh, man, I, w- I would have wanted to, you know, I would have been excited about that. So I, I don't know if he'll be excited about this or not or if he would have wanted to cover this or not. But I have a feeling that maybe it's not on his radar. So I, I won't have uh, I, I won't have uh, offended the the many masters that I'm I'm catering to in terms of this pick. But. I, I was going to kind of do what the guys normally do and kind of go page by page with my notes. And I don't know if you guys have notes on different pages, if you want to, you know, stop me as we go along or, or, you know, throw in some of your notes as we go through the pages and everything. But like that, I, I really like that first title page, you know, that the, 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 the large shadow of Cheshire on that office building. Like, I think that's a really cool title page and it's not, it's not anything, I don't know super heroic or anything like that. Like, I think that's one of the great things about Eduardo Barreto, like one of his strengths. It's like the backdrop of all these locations, Africa, New York city, Titans tower, Switzerland, you know, like it's, it's like he makes them all distinct characters just as much as Marv Wolfman gives all the, the, the Titans members unique character and, 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 voices and and you know responses to to different stimuli and everything so i i do really appreciate that it's like one of those things where you're like man like this you know i i mean i know it's silly but it's like dude look at those you know the 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 trees and the 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 telephone posts and every it's like they're so good anyway sorry but yeah so i i dig that a lot I guess for me, I'm jumping to like page five as well, because they've got Titans Tower and there's all the kind of, you know, electronic equipment and their their kind of conference room and everything where everybody's kind of sitting together and, and going over the, the, the mission briefing, so to speak, and everything. So, again, that's just something that Beretta really, really excels at. I guess I mean I guess you have to sort of talk about this and I, I don't know what you guys think about this but maybe I'll I'll ask and 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 stop for a minute but like th- this portion of it I think this page and you know m- maybe the the mission itself right is is about as political as this issue gets right and I I feel like lately there's this back and forth about you know, there, there's there's the people that say, oh, well, politics were always in comics. And then there's the people that say, I don't want politics in my comics. But I feel like both those points of view, to me, kind of miss the point. It's not that there were never any politics in comics. It's just they weren't the entirety of the story. Like, your entire life is not about politics, just like the entire comic is not about politics. And that's not the entirety of the story. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, it's in the title of Hawk and Dove. Hawk is the the right wing guy and Dove was the left wing guy. Like, I mean, it's it's right there on the page. Right. But with Dove dead. Right. Then. Just like Garth, just like Wally, a really important piece 
of Hank Hall's life is missing, his brother, that kept him, quote unquote, balanced, right? So there, there's that aspect where, yeah, okay, he, you know, he's going to be as much of a loose cannon as, as or, or emotionally damaged or whatever you want to call it as any of these other folks or whatever. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like, you know, I've heard some people and I feel like they get it right where they, they kind of have come to the conclusion like, look, that's not, you know, that that's not what people are like when people say they don't want politics in their comics. I think what they mean is they don't want the entirety of the they don't want the comic itself to be about the political like it can exist. It's a thing. It's always been a thing and it always will be a thing, but it's not like the end all be all of what telling a good story is about. Right. So I, I don't know, but maybe that's, that's probably the nicest way I can put it and, and still get on my soapbox. But I, I'm just curious, like did, did that, this aspect of the story, like th the fact that they were going to like a U.S. Russian peace summit, that it's, it's got this, you know, cold war kind of aspect to it. And, and, and the kind of, you know, conflict that is sort of, the seething underbelly of the entire story. Like, does that play at all with you guys? Like, does it matter to you? Like, what what did you think about it? I certainly didn't expect this issue to start out in apartheid South Africa, so that was interesting. But like, I wasn't I wasn't worried because I knew when this comic was made that I knew it wasn't gonna get on its soapbox and yell at me and make me feel bad. So I wasn't I didn't have any concerns going into it at all. I, I was just kind of like, okay, that's an interesting place to start your Teen Titans comic. And then it was, you know, we were in South Africa for a little bit with uh, Cheshire, and then we moved on. I was like, okay, but that was uh, we're over that already. I feel like if I feel like if it was a modern comic, it would have been like the entire issue, and it would have yelled and screamed at you and made you feel bad for even reading the comic. Right, right. <laughs> Punish you for for being a customer. Yeah, okay. I, I I feel like you can't pick up an '80s comic without running into some Cold War like you know uh, mm. like commentary okay. or you know something like it's always like you know when whenever there's like a Russian character or the you know something like that it's always like brought up. And, you know, just in general, like, you know, they, or if it's not the Russians, they're like, you know, they there's they have stand ins for that. And like, you know, the 80s. So, like, I wasn't at all surprised. But, yeah, like Justin said, I wasn't like thrown off by it or anything like I, you know, there were a lot of like there were a lot of different viewpoints in this issue. Like, and, you know, and maybe there's something valid in all those viewpoints. Right. Like, right. You know, so. Yeah, it's 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 definitely well balanced in terms of not only like viewpoints, but like, you know, it's a team book, the team dynamics. It's like it's it, there, there's not things that are, you know, lopsided like that's that that's the kind of thing I always hate where it's like, you know, if you have, say, you know, a cartoon like, you know, that just features, you know, Batman doing everything, then, you know, you don't have all those varied viewpoints, right? Like, but if you have a, a team where everybody's kind of has a part to play or a role to play, then, you know, it's, it, it's more well-rounded and everything. I think like that this is the, the next page, page seven, that last panel I think is, is brilliant. You know, like that whole panel with, with Donna resting her arm on Aqualad's shoulder. I mean, that, that certainly illustrates the distinction between Garth's grief and and Wally's grief, right? Because that that whole last bottom half, it's like the determination in Wally's eyes to to honor Barry's name, but then like Garth is so despondent, you know, he just wants to sort of, you know, 
stare out at the window and, you know, just kind of, you know, be miserable. You know what I mean? Like, and he's like, ah, we'll do whatever, Donna. Like, I don't really, I don't really care, you know? So, so it's like that, I don't know, to me, like that was a panel that really, really stood out. The next page is, is kind of like one of those things where, of course, every time you see stuff like this now in comics, you can't help but stop, right? Because it's like, this was just a, a throwaway thing. Like they, they pilot the T-Jet and she gets, you know, Donna gets, you know, lost in thought and, and is too busy worrying about the emotional state of the team. And then she forgets, like, she's rocketing at like super speed in the T-Jet and she nearly like slams into the one of the World Trade Center towers. And then she has to like crank the the jet to like climb over the tower and everything. And they, they narrowly do it and everything's fine. But I mean, you know, now it's like th that kind of stuff is always going to stand out like forever, you know, and, and have a different context to it, unfortunately. Yeah. When I, when I saw that, I was like, Oh man, like that's uh that's something that, you know, <laughs> ages like, you know, poorly, I guess. Well, I mean, if, if, if it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where, I, you know, how 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 was somebody to know, like, you know, what is this like, you know, 20 years before, you know, like like that that something like that was going to happen. Like it was it was inconceivable. Right. Like and, and it, it, you know, it'd be the same thing as, you know, King Kong climbing the Empire State Building. It's like, you know what I mean? Like like if, if say the same thing had happened to the Empire State Building, are you going to go back and say that, like, King Kong aged poorly. Like, I mean, I don't know, but, but it's, it's, it, it's always gonna, you know, kind of just to have an impression, you know, it's, it's always going to make you, uh, you know, even ever so briefly or momentarily, you know, like, you know, think about, Oh, where was I, what was I doing? Like when, when that happened and everything. So, I mean, I, I kind of, I don't know if you have any notes on the next couple pages or anything like that. I'm probably going to, you know, jump over to, you know, Donna and Hawk's conflict, unless you guys have anything else. On page 19 and 20 is when, to me, it's like the age old argument, you know, the whole comics code approval invention of superheroes do not kill, which is a misnomer in my opinion, because I think it's dumb. It's like, you know, but I mean, I don't know. To, to me, it's funny because this kind of proves it, right? Because it's like, okay, so Hawk is going to kill a bad guy. And then Donna not only has to let the, the, the real bad guy Cheshire get away to stop Hawk from killing a bad guy, but the way she needs to stop Hawk from killing a bad guy is to nearly kill Hawk herself. Right. And it's like, obviously it's, it's terrific drama, right? Like, you know, it's like there, there are these increasingly emotional panels of her tearing up and it, it keeps getting tighter and tighter and tighter on her face and tighter and tighter and tighter on her single eye with the tears and the whole nine yards. Like it's incredible drama. But to me, it's like emotional flotsam and jetsam. Like like if if you actually wanted to, you know, solve the issue. Right. Like you you'd go ahead and, uh, you know, capture Cheshire and not like you know, fight amongst yourselves and not quibble when, when, when Hawk killed like one of her goons that probably was a, a terrorist that killed more people than, than either of them have ever killed. Right. Like, but maybe, maybe that's just me. I always think like, you know, there's a balance like, you know, to be struck and it's not like, you know, we must never ever kill ever, 
Like there are some situations where it might be unavoidable, but that doesn't mean like, you know, you kill every single person you, you know, you come up against or whatever. Right, so, right. you know, the, but, you know, like you said, the, the Comics Code Authority makes it seem like this is some ironclad rule that everyone needs to adhere to or whatever. But that, that, that's what was always funny to me when I when I started researching it, because if you look at like the early like Archie superheroes and, and all that other stuff, it's like. Before the Comics Code Authority was invented, like dudes like the Comet, like they, they, you know, they'd fly people up to the top of a skyscraper and go, you were bad and would drop them from the top of. I mean, you know, Batman was like cracking people's necks and stuff and, you know, all kinds of stuff was going on. And it's like, OK, well, you know, it, it, obviously it wasn't a big deal or, or you know, maybe it's like written off or retconned where it's like, oh, no, th those guys were all vampires. So it was it was OK, you know, <laughs> like it was fine or whatever. But, you know, I don't know. I just I th that that always cracks me up. So can I steal your thunder a little bit, Derek? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love page 22. I, I, oh, I yeah. love. But Donna says, I've had it, Robin. I'm not the leader. You take command. This is your group anyway. And he's like me. What do I do? And he, he sees Hawk face down in the snow while he's been shot. Gar's in the snow, really face down in the snow. And he's like, what do I do? Like that, I love that page because I, and this is one of the things I'm like, you know, I wouldn't have called to kill Jason Todd. And I think stuff like this issue, specifically like this page, like that's why I wish there was more of this. Like him, it's like he got out from under Batman's thumb and here's a chance for him. He, he can take command of the Teen Titans. Like Donna's like, I'm out. It's your group anyway. And he's like, what do I do? And he just looks around, he sees his teammates, like, face down or dealing with grief or wounds, and he's like, what do I do? Like, that's so great. The the the, the thing for me is the, the following page, too. Like, I, th there's, it, it's funny, because I feel like, you know, either Paul Dini or somebody must have read this, like, when, when uh, and, and it left an impression on them, because he, he not only turns around and is like, hey, look, you you think I'm Dick because you see this costume, but I'm not Dick, right? And and she she it finally dawns on her. She's like, oh my God, that's what I've been doing this whole time. And then they have that kind of sweet moment where they're they're kneeling together in the snow, and and she asks for forgiveness, and he says, sure, why not? And he says, for an older lady, you're not so bad. And it's like that that's that's him kind of like, dude, I kind of have the hots for you, right? And like. What what I think is great is even though everybody hates this weekly series, like everybody's like countdown and everybody has these like horrible flashbacks of it and yells and screams about it or whatever. Like the, the, the whole thing where it was it was Donna, Jason and, and Kyle that had their little subplot or whatever, like like I felt like that was like a callback to this where it was like, Hey, remember I had that crush on you. Now I'm a little older and it's not, it's, it's, it's not too crazy. Like maybe we could hook up or something. And so like I was, I was going down that awful rabbit hole. That's why I've got this goofy, like poorly drawn, like fan art on my, on my avatar right now, because it's like, it's like this picture of, of uh, Jason poorly drawn, like, kissing the hand of uh, Wonder Girl and then in the back like Nightwing is like what the f are you doing dude and like I, I, if you if you actually look it up it's probably a deep dark ugly internet hole or whatever but if you look at like all the shipping you know nonsense that goes on for those two it's like really really funny and so anyway 
I, I, I guess I, I really, I really like that and everything. Cause it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's all these, you know, I mean, the Titans were supposed to be these cool 20 somethings that, that were, you know, maybe they were all 19 except for, I don't know, Dick and Donna or whatever, but they, they were all supposed to, you know, know everything, or at least they, they, they think they know everything, even despite, you know, dealing with basically what's tantamount to like post-traumatic stress, right. From the crisis. Right. And it takes like this 16 year old boy to like snap them back into reality. And I just like, if, if there's any page that's my favorite, it's the, it's the one where, you know, Donna and Jason are just kind of kneeling together in the snow. Like I, 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 I love that page. Like that's like my favorite <laughs> Jason Todd moment, you know? You know, when you mentioned like Alan Moore, like like when I read that scene, I was kind of thinking in my head, like think clean thoughts, chum. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. See, it, it carries over. It it all it all it all makes sense, you know. And then, I mean, for the most part, I'm I'm kind of skipping over most of the other pages and just kind of jumping to the last page, which is the big reveal. Basically, like they they reveal like, oh, you know, Speedy's the father of Cheshire's child, and there's this cool like the foreshortening on the the last panel with Cheshire as she's like pointing the gun towards Speedy is like, I'm going to kill you. Like it's, it's a super cool panel, super cool image. Like that, that's the kind of the, the, the conclusions in comics that I feel like don't exist anymore that, that I miss that are like the, the, the things where you get to the last page and you're like, Holy, shit. you know, I'm like, I'm trying not to curse cause this is back of the bins, but I'm like, Holy shnikes. Like this is, this is, you know, like I, I need to get the next issue to this. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like I, what happens? Do you know what I mean? Like, like what happens next? You know? And it's like, I feel like that's something, especially with the whole, you know, written for the trade era and all that kind of stuff. I feel like that's, you know, just like, a you know, die cast construction, you know, it, it's a lost art, right? This whole, like, you know, the, the tease of getting someone to, to, to whet their appetite so that they're, they're, they're going to come back for the next issue. And I think this is like a perfect setup and punchline for that. And, and so that, you know, again, is, is something that I, I think worked really, really well. And now it's time for drunk comic book superhero ramblings with Dr. Tony Jackson. Yeah, no, no, the, the, this was a really good issue. It's like, it, it's kind of funny because we, it's like, um, this is a really terrible question to ask all three of you. I, I will put forth my idea. Because I am old. What do you think actually means to be a hero? Because I think that's a really good, uh, poignant moment. So, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be deep. My, my thing is, like, like, I, I, I have grown up in my life with three ideas. Um, be be a, a good person as much as you can. You can't always be a good person. Um, you may make flaws, but be a good person, you know. It's like ba- basic ideas, you know. It's like not, not like too deep. Okay. I would love Ant-Man to be the leader of the Avengers. Ant-Man? Ant-Man, yeah. Okay. And or, it, is, or Natasha. Is, that, or Natasha. Is, is, Paul, is Paul Rudd and Clueless what a hero means to you, Tony? Is that what it is? <laughs> but, 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 
drunk comic book superhero ramblings with Dr. Tony Jackson. Okay. So uh, I guess it's about time we're we're going to grade the first book and that's what they do on back to the bins they grade their books so I'm I'm going to start out and and uh, give my guys a uh, uh you know a guideline of of what we're going to do but basically you just you 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 grade the cover you grade the story and you grade the interior art and then you give it your overall grade and I, I do it mathematically because that's how I roll. But apparently you can just give it whatever overall grade you want. So if you, you know, give it a couple different letter grades, but you want to give it an, uh, you know, a B or a C or an A or whatever, you know, whatever you want to end up with, you know, you just give it the grade you want to give it. But for me, the cover, I mean, we kind of talked about this. It's George Perez. It's a full team shot, the team from the issue. It's it's fairly iconic. And I'm going to give it an A plus. I mean, it's George Perez. What do you want from me? The story grade, I'm going to give a B plus for the story. The story is extremely good for something done by the dreaded writer slash editor, because Justin knows how I feel about that. I, I think that's insane. You can't be a writer and an editor. So despite Marvel from being the writer editor on this book, shockingly, it's a good issue. Lots of character development, lots of layers, lots of drama, intrigue, twists and turns. Like all the members of the team, they all get to play their parts. Each character has their own unique voice, their own unique perspective. And this is one of my favorite Jason Todd stories. So uh, B plus for the story. For the interior art, I think the worst thing you could possibly say about the art is that you're disappointed that the cover is George Perez and the interiors are not George Perez like the cover. But Edward Barreto and Romeo Tangal are great. Romeo Tangal's probably like the the glue, like he was always inking like all the Titans books, you know, so there's that consistency there. The storytelling in what would today be considered extremely dense for a single issue, I think, is outstanding. All the characters are on model. The backgrounds, like I said, are incredibly detailed. They 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 echo the real world locations that they're supposed to take place in. It's not just, you know, a couple scribbles and a caption that tells you you're in Switzerland. Like, even if you didn't have the caption that you were in Switzerland, you'd be like, holy f they're in like the snowy mountains somewhere. I mean, at least you'd know something, right? So so I, I think that's very well done interior art. So I'm going to go B plus for the art. And then since I'm doing it mathematically uh, overall, that's a 92 percent. So that gets us an A minus for new Teen Titans 20 overall. So that's my grade. Yeah, I mean, I I give an A plus for the cover. I mean, it's George Perez. I mean, it looks pretty awesome. Like I had nothing bad to say about it. Like so A plus for the cover. I'll I'll give the story like you you gave it like a B plus. I mean I'll give it a B. Like I I really liked it. And as someone like who like I said is not familiar with this era of DC at all. Like I followed along pretty closely and I got caught up to speed pretty quickly. So which is you know as expected from a like comic of this era in general. So like and and you know like I. I think, like I said, uh, I, I felt a little off that like everyone was like, you know, dealing with their baggage and shit and like uh, and stuff, I should say, and stuff there. You know, like I said, uh, Jason Todd was the voice of reason, which is something I don't think I've read a whole lot of like him being. So like that was pretty unique. So a B for the story. 
and again, like like you said, like the the art's perfectly fine. I think there were some really nice panels and stuff, but it it wasn't like I I did kind of expect George Perez almost, and it wasn't him. But like you know, the, the art was perfectly serviceable and fine. So I'll I'll give the art like a A minus. So I think that all like averages out to like a A minus as well. So okay, so we're we're coming to the same place, but with with different uh, starting points or whatever. So what what about you, Justin? How about your grade? I would give the cover an A plus. It's a great cover, like you said. It's iconic. It's wonderful. The story, I think I'd give it a B plus too. Like I love the drama. I really like the emotional damage and repercussions of Crisis. Like our, our characters dealing with the trauma. Like I really like that. I also like the intrigue and twist and turns. Like you said, like I think that's great. The interior art, I think I would give it an A. Like like you said that. The worst you can say is it's not Perez, but I think Barreto does a really good job, whether it's action or especially like the more intense emotional moments, whether it's Donna and Jason in the snow or it's the intense look on Wally's face when he's determined to honor Barry's legacy or some of the more, I don't want to say deranged, but it feels that way. Some of the deranged looks that Hank gets when he's talking about his brother or, right, when, right, he's, right. or when he's whittling his little wooden he's 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 intense yeah he's he's an intense character but yeah i think i would also give an overall grade of uh, an a minus i think we've all arrived at the same place by different paths cool cool all right well that's that's uh book one down that's our dc book and that means we're going to be moving on to our marvel book This be some spread. Gambit not gonna be playing solitaire tonight. Gambit, what are you doing over here? Talking to yourself in the third person. And what's all this food? Oh, Professor, Gambit have plans tonight. Once Cher shows up, Gambit gonna wine and dine her. Then we gonna listen to Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Fan Holes? I'll not have my school turned into a den of debauchery and science fiction trivia. No, Gambit. You'll just have to perform your obscene mating rituals elsewhere. Uh-oh. Sound like the professor getting a little cranky. Gambit think it's time for you to go to bed. What? What are you... Ow! Unhand me at once! Unhand me, you swamp-fed ignoramus! Relax, mon ami. Gambit just gonna tuck you in real nice. Uh, X-Men, emergency help! Uh, Curse you, fan holes! And don't mess with the fan holes! Weekly content on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com That damn song is stuck in my head now. Thanks a lot, Pete Holmes. My mind! And that means we're going to be moving on to our Marvel book for tonight. And that was something that Justin decided to bring. So, Justin, why don't you let us know which Marvel book you chose for tonight? 
I brought Silver Surfer number 125. It has a cover date of February 1997, an on-sale date of December the 26th, 1996, and a cover price of, holy cow, it's a whopping $2.95. Our first story is The Heart of the Beast, plotted by Glenn Greenberg, scripted by J.M. DeMatteis, penciled by Ron Garney. We have a backup story titled Home for the Holidays, written by James Felder, art by Brian Hitch. In our first story, we see the Silver Surfer kind of taking it easy, flying over the Earth, and he encounters some kind of disturbance, and he later finds out that it is the Hulk rampaging. And this is a Hulk who is dealing with the fallout of Onslaught Model Universe. He is without Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner is in the Heroes Reborn dimension, I guess we'll say. Like, whatever you want to call the... the the little sub-dimension that those guys are doing, uh, hanging out in right now. And of course, this is a different Hulk than we're used to, perhaps, without Banner. Of course, they fight because they need to, they, they need something to happen. Surfer is determined to help his old uh, friend and teammate, and he attempts to cure the Hulk, as he did once upon a time. But because Banner is missing, like this, this has no effect on the Hulk. And that's kind of where we leave this story. Like, they just kind of, they have a nice little heart-to-heart. I think it's at the Grand Canyon. It certainly looks like it. They have a little heart-to-heart discussion, and Doctor Strange kind of shows up, and they compare notes, and Surfer flies off to his next adventure. In our backup story, we see the Silver Surfer save a young woman who's in some trouble. And we find out she's had some rather rough twists and turns in her life. She's had a very difficult home life, especially with her father. And she's kind of escaped a, I guess you could say, a, a home for troubled youth. And once Silver Surfer learns that this girl is uh, on the lam, as they used to say, like, he's like, well, I need to take you back. And she's outraged and betrayed that he would treat her like this. She thought she could confide in him, that he was her friend. And she asked for, you know, one final favor, and that's to say goodbye to her mother. And then when Surfer sees their tearful reunion, he flies away and leads her to her to her own devices. But um I I was reading Silver Surfer off and on during this era. Like I started Ron Mars, Ron Lim era. And then I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where I left off, but I know like when I saw this issue on the newsstand, I bought it because one, it was Ron Garney's artwork. I've always been a big fan of his artwork. It was written by J.M. DeMatteis, a name you can rely and trust on in the terms of writing comics. And not only that, but it was Surfer versus the Hulk. And I'm a big fan of the Hulk. I was reading his book at the time. And this was a, another piece of the puzzle, like, as it's mentioned in the, you know, the editor's notes for this issue, like, we had just had an issue of the Hulk where Doctor Strange gets involved and he kind of gets into the whole, like, Banner is in another world or something, and they try to, like, you know, they, Doctor Strange kind of tries the same thing. He tries to help the Hulk, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't work out exactly the way they think it's going to go, which is why he shows up here. I don't think this was a very long run for DeMatteis. I think the issue, I think this title didn't last much longer. And I, I read 
I didn't read until the final issue of this volume, but I read pretty far into it. I think I think maybe I dropped off after Garney stopped doing the interiors. I, I can't really remember. It, it's hard to remember. It's been 25 years or more. Derek, like, I know you've read this before because you're a Silver Surfer dude. Like, did you did you get this off the stand too, or was this a back issue for you? No, this was like a... I mean, it, it probably was a you know a comic store like new new comic day issue. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like like the, the the my recollection of my my reading. Obviously, yes, I am a Silver Surfer dude. I'm totally <laughs> a Silver Surfer dude. Dude, um, dude. I I was yeah. I mean I mean I I started reading Silver Surfer with like this volume with thirteen and fourteen and annual one, and then I went to my local specialty shop that had back issues and i bought one through 12 and i bought that volume two by john byrne and then i bought fantasy masterpieces that i thought were the originals you know of, of the, the john basima and, and the whole nine yards so i was like super into silver surfer and then i i would say i i collected it fairly religiously i mean i might have dropped off a bit and and came back when when thanos and infinity gauntlet and all that started up and then I'd, I'd say from there from like 30 34 to like all the way to about 75 ish i bought this book religiously like I, I i got it you know when it was like new comic day or whatever all the time i i feel like morgue was like my breaking point like i was kind of, you know it was like it was like one of those things <laughs> um, where it was like you know it was like yeah. you know the, the, it, you know it's kind of like the the doomsday ish thing you know it's like oh there's a new herald and he's even worse and all this other stuff and i was just kind of like oh man like it was it was 290s you know even for me or whatever you know what i mean like like i i i feel like i i couldn't tell you exactly but i feel like sometime after issue 75 i i stopped reading it didn't help that they they made a big deal about Bart Sears coming on, I think, with issue 93. And I was like, oh, boy, like I can read this again. And so I, I bought 93 and then he didn't stay on the book. So I think maybe Andy Smith did like some issues after that. And then and then it went to like, you know, you know me, it, it, not my favorite artist, but it went to Tom Grinberg after that. And I was just kind of like, oh, like it's kind of like Wayne's World, like we're in Delaware. You know, it's kind of like, oh, like. The artist is Tom Grinberg. So so I, I basically went cold turkey at that point and wasn't I wasn't picking the book off the stands or anything like that. And when Garney came on the book, I think it was like 123. I think it was like a few issues before this. Like I was like, oh, like I was like, oh, like this is great. Like I'm going to start buying this again. And. I don't know that I bought it all the way up into the end. I mean, I think I think like the last couple of issues were in the 140s. I, I read Garney and then and then Tom Grummet did the pencils like after Garney and I kept reading that. So so I read those. But then I, I think then it sort of trickled into like other pencilers towards the tail end before it kind of got canceled or whatever. But so, yeah, I was I was for the most part, I was reading this in real time. And then I think even later when I, I got that whole completist bug, you know, I think I went back and bought all the Grindberg issues and and bought, you know, whatever was missing from from that run or something like that. So at one point I had a complete run of this third volume and everything. I I mean, I really like this. I mean, the, the cover is 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 
really awesome. Like it's got the Hulk getting blasted by the Silver Surfer. It's this double page cover, like where the Hulk is on the back cover and, and this large image of the Surfer is on the front cover and he's on his board and it, you know, it says it's the spectacular 125th issue and it says Surfer versus Hulk in bold text. I mean, the only thing that maybe you could point at and say, you know, is, is kind of weird is that you know, Surfer's head kind of obscures the F and the E on the Surfer part of the Silver Surfer logo. But otherwise, I mean, I, I you know, I think it's really cool. It's got all these like sort of impact lines or whatever for the effect where, you know, you, you see the impact that it's that the blast uh, as the Hulk's charging the Silver Surfer is is being generated and everything like that. And I mean, I've I've got plenty of notes, but I'm I guess I'm kind of curious. Like, did, did, Mike, had you ever read this before? Negative. Although I am very familiar with this era of Marvel comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and and I I, I agree with Justin. I mean, uh, Jam Dimatteis is is uh, obviously a name you can trust in comics. I mean, I I I thought this was extremely well written. You know, like the especially given the context of 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 all the, I don't know, surrounding events you're dealing with, you know, like, so, I mean, you know, I guess if you guys want, we could do the same thing. I've got all the page numbers laid out and everything I can go through and we can kind of go through like individual notes, like page by page or whatever we have, like that page one of Silver Surfer on his surfboard in space, like basically coming through the re-entry, you know, atmosphere to earth, like, that's a fantastic Silver Surfer image by Ron Garney. It's, you know, in, in terms of the, you know, I've told Justin this a billion times, like Silver Surfer original art is f***ing crazy, goes for extremes amounts of money. And I'd probably say the most sought after type of art is Silver Surfer, full image on his board in space. Like that's probably the most sought after, right? Like that's what, if, if you, if you're a surfer dude, like that's what you want. So I guess I don't qualify as a surfer dude because I don't have any of that because it's too much money. But anyway, page two and three is this awesome double page spread. And it's like a majestic and graceful looking silver surfer. And he's looking over like basically the Hollywood cityscape. And it's got a bunch of fighter jets in the background that you think maybe are after the Silver Surfer, but it turns out they're all after the Hulk. And it's funny, like page four reminds me of like, because I mean, it's funny because this this issue came out in 1996 and it's got the cover date in 1997. Like this is smack dab in like the middle of me living in in Los Angeles for the first time. So like I. I I went to Universal Studios during like when this when this book came out. Like I remember going to that Terminator 2 3D like show basically. Do you know what I mean? Like like this is all like all the iconography in it is 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 fairly familiar to me. So so I in in a weird way just beyond all the comic book nostalgia, like there's this this weird sense of like, oh yeah, I used to live there. I went to Universal. Like I, I know all these landmarks and locations, you know, like so there's there's that kind of notion of nostalgia for me and everything. The next double page spread I think is on seven and eight. And the Hulk gets his very own double page spread and he's got his own little logo and everything that says the Incredible Hulk. So that's also really cool for Hulk fans, right? Yeah, that's um, a great Hulk image. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I think Justin covered the context and everything. The only other thing I'd say is that this is, you know, besides the whole Heroes Reborn and and post-Onslaught kind of stuff, like, this is also basically, you know, uh, right around the same time that the Hulk just had fought the Thunderbolts in their first chronological appearance. So now we can do a shameless plug for Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, which is on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com, right? Page 11, like, th- that th- that's the, the that big first panel where it's like the thin and lithe Silver Surfer that's like in contrast, like stark c- contrast to like this huge like broad, wide, yeah. muscle down Hulk. Like that's such a cool, like contrast image, like where you're like, oh damn, this is awesome. You know, and it's like, you know, and Surfer is such a cool cucumber. I mean, he's he's even more so in the context of this story, right? Like where he's just kind of like, you know, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's fine. Like you can, you can charge me. I'll just, you know, surf out of your way or whatever, you know? And I guess I mean th- this is JMD Mateus, but like I kind of feel like like the page thirteen, like where they have that little flashback of of their time in the, the Defenders together and everything. Like I I feel like that's like a a, a Star Trek. No no no. I I was gonna say I feel like it's a it's a Star Trek six like like rip off of like a line like like you know how Peter David's always like ripping off like like cool lines in movies when it works for his comics. Like there's, there, there's this one issue of the Hulk that I remember where he ripped off like the, the, the line of dialogue from the last Starfighter, And I forget if it's like some other aliens or scrolls or whatever it was, but there was this whole thing where like, you know, the, the, in the last Starfighter, it's like, they're like, what do we do now? And the, the bad guy's like, now we die. And then they blew up or whatever. Defense! She won't answer the helm. Locked into the moon's gravitational pull. What do we do? We die. And like Peter David totally like swiped that moment for like one of his Hulk comics. It's like, what do we do now? Now we die. Or whatever. And like I, I felt like that whole like, you know, the Hulk's like a threat and and Silver Surfer's like an observation. And I, I kind of feel like that's like the Vulcan thing to say, like a Star Trek, you know, it's like, it's like a lie and it's like, uh, an omission, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever. I don't know. Like that, that, that's kind of what that reminded me of. Like, I'm like, Oh, that, that feels like a swipe from something, you know, like that somebody, somebody used that before, you know? Oh, Oh. And then, and then on issue 15, like the, the dialogue is really good, you know, cause, cause surfers like fate has chosen to turn me into a being of cold logic devoid of heart while you it seems have been stripped of all reason your heart is a cauldron of the darkest most savage and repugnant emotions known to man you are perilously out of control hulk and you must be stopped like that's like i mean if 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 you had never read any hulk and never read any silver surfer before this issue like you'd know that Surfer is a little off his game. And you know that Hulk is like way the, I'm like way the burp off his game, right? Because because um, it's like they, 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 he, he lines all that up perfectly, basically. So like, again, like it, it's, it's to me, it's it's very well written for the the genre it's in. And then, and then they have that great reference to uh, Hulk 250, which I think is like, 
Silver Surfer being the man because it's like they, they, him and the Hulk have like that great fight and he like flies them all the way into space and then he turns them back into Banner and I I, I remember like that that was like the pinnacle of the Wizard World showdown boards it's like dude the Hulk can't do shit. like Surfer just flew him up in space turned him back into Banner you know like that was that was always the you know like they, they when when they would cite all those evidences for like the the superhero showdowns and stuff that was always that was always the whole 250 was always a big thing. But I, I remember like, that's how much I was like, you know, it, it does weird me out since we're talking about the defenders. Like I, I mean, Justin's not wrong. Like I was, I was a silver surfer dude. Like I love silver surfer. And I, I specifically remember going through those overstreet price guides and going silver surfer app, silver surfer app, silver surfer app. And if anything said silver surfer app in, in the stupid overstreet price guide, I'd be like, a Hulk 250 Silver Surfer app? Okay, I'll get that. You know, like that's that's how easily manipulated I was when when I would go through those overstreet price guides. But having said all that, like Defenders is something I, I mean, I've told this to Justin numerous times. I'm super spotty with like I I mean the classic Defenders, like I've barely read any of it. Like like at all. And like, and that fascinates me because I'm like, oh, but the Silver Surfer was a defender. Like, you'd think at the bare minimum, I would have like gone through and seen, you know, I don't know, Silver Surfer app on like, I don't know, the first couple issues or Marvel, I don't know, what is it, Marvel Fanfare or Marvel Premiere or wherever the hell the defenders first showed up, you know, like, like that I would have tried to go after those. But, but not only that, but like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think exactly when in the 90s or maybe, but, um, Somewhere in the nineties, I think, like Demetrius takes over. So oh, there's okay. also that. But yeah, yeah, like you, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll like get, do some long box diving at Heroes Con. Yeah, we'll get you yeah. some like dollar uh, issues of Defenders. You can check it out. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Ooh la la. Tutti frutti. <laughs> it's okay. I'm gonna bleep. What's everything it coming out. to go? I'm gonna bleep everything out. So okay. it's all clean and nice. And and then I was I was thinking just like you in that last double page spread like when I first saw it I I'm much like you I was like oh I guess the Hulk leaped all the way out to the Grand Canyon and the Silver Surfer meets him to have that one last conversation but then like it, it's funny too because I'm like I, I guess that would make sense in terms of like you know if you think Hulk leaps for great distances like he could easily leap all the way out to the Grand Canyon so he's in another state right but. Then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, they were just in Universal Studios. And then I was like, what, you know, and, and maybe this is dumb, too, because there's no canyon this big there. But like, I was like, oh, maybe it's like where Captain Kirk fought the Gorn. Like maybe it's Vasquez Rocks that they went out to or, or like where Buffy saw her, her, uh, you know, her spirit animal or whatever the hell was going on in that seventh season. You know what I mean? Like I was like, maybe it's Vasquez Rocks where where Bill and Ted got killed by their evil robot us's or whatever you know like but anyway i i love this image of the hulk he's just like you can just tell by his you know, body language even though he's not real but like you can just tell by his demeanor he's pissed off he wants to be left alone that's why yeah. he went yeah. to the middle of nowhere yeah he's sitting on top of this rock in the middle of nowhere he's like i want to be left alone surfer just go away leave me alone yeah, and and it's funny too because he's like, yeah, you can go ahead and try to pull the trick, you know, the quote unquote trick from Incredible Hulk 250, but it's not going to work because there's no 
there's no banner for me to turn, you know, there's no banner that exists for you to turn me back into. You know, so that's that. That's basically what's great about it is it's your it's your atypical trope of a Marvel brawl slugfest, and instead of them like teaming up and fighting some bad guy, it's just it's it's put to a stalemate because Surfer can't turn Hulk back into Banner, and Hulk can't really do a whole hell of a lot to hurt surfer either. Right. Like, so it's like, they're just kind of stuck in the stalemate. I mean, that's basically how it ends. And then he, he leaps off again. Cause again, he wants to be left the hell alone. And then, and then you end on almost like a, a pseudo defenders note, because then, you know, strange shows up and he's like, Hey, I was trying to help him too, but I guess we both, we both messed up or whatever, you know? And, and that, and that, that's basically how it ends with them sort of, flying off together and everything. I mean, as far as the backup goes, I, I don't have very much to say about it other than I like the art. Like, I like Hitch. I've always liked Hitch. Um, it's we- it's it- weird, though. It's like early days for Hitch. It, it is. It's early Hitch. It's Hitch, you know, trying to ape Alan Davis, Hitch, you know, like all the detractors might say. I, I'm still fond of early Hitch. I always have been. I think Art to Bear's inks are interesting on Hitch, but maybe don't quite work the best. Like there, there, there is some weird hinky like perspective and stuff. Yeah. Like I, uh, th- that that splash, the title splash, like is kind of hinky looking. And like I remember, like the reason why that stands out to me, I remember that that page came up on Dueling Dealers once, and I was just like, ooh, Silver Surfer. And then I probably thought, ooh, that's too much money. And then I thought, eh, that's not, you know, you know what I mean? Like that, like to me, I was thinking like, oh, you know, I don't know. For me, like like primo stuff, like if it was Garney, if it was if it was Ron Lim, if it was Marshall Rogers, you know. And then of course, if you get even further back, you know, Basima, you know, like that whole thing, like that's you know, oh, Silver Surfer, you know, like like that's that's what kind of gets me going. Or even Tom Grummet, you know, like like that that would be primo, you know, art for Silver Surfer. And and this, I I do like it. Like uh, there's no doubt, I do like the art, but but it is. It, it, I guess the best way to describe it is it's got uh, what what uh, the internet refers to as early installment weirdness, but it's like early in the career of artist weirdness or whatever. I guess is the best way to put it. And 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 then I don't know. The the, the story is like a very special episode of Saved by the Bell, where like Zach meets a homeless person on Christmas or whatever, and Tom Panarese knows exactly the episode I'm talking about if he's listening. But like. Yeah, it's it's just kind of like, you know, special special NBC episode of the week type story. And I'm like, eh, you know, I I, I wasn't, you know, it, it, it's not terrible, but it's just I don't know, dude. Like, I, I, I don't see the need to, like, compare um, Silver Surfer to uh, Hitler or whatever. I, I can't count the number of times there's a, like, holiday or a very special, like, you know, short Marvel story where the hero like meets some one person who's down on their luck and then like changes it around or something. Like, yeah. I feel like there's like eight different Spider-Man stories that are just like this or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's like they pulled it from inventory, but then instead yeah. of Spider-Man swinging by and grabbing this chick, it's like surfer who like levitates the chick and then it's the same thing. You know? Yeah. 
except Surfer is kind of like, you're going to jail. Like, you know, <laughs> Spider-Man's like, you know, usually like, no, dude, like, here's your second chance. Like, make good with it or whatever. But All right. Well, I guess I guess if that's it, like, let's grade Silver Surfer 125. So for the cover, I, I think the art on the cover is great. I don't know that I can say it's iconic, but it would certainly be a prized possession in anybody's art collection or anybody's comic collection. It's got this larger-than-life imagery. So I gave a B-plus for the cover. The story grade is a A for the first story. I think it was it was very well-written. It's your basic hero-on-hero hero slugfest, but there's excellent use of the medium to convey all the information needed to get your audience up to speed on all the current events, and it, you know it was it was fun, which is the important part. For the second story, I kind of gave it a separate grade. That story is pretty weak. I, I thought the equivocation between Surfer and Hitler was kind of dumb, and reminded me of you know very special Saved by the Bell, you know. Let's let's help homeless people on Christmas episode or whatever. So C for that backup story. The interior art. I've always been a huge fan of Ron Garney, and I, I, and I think Bob Wyacek, like his inks, have always been like the I don't know the secret ingredient in art that I like. Like no matter what it is, whether it's like Star Wars or Silver Surfer or uh x factor or you know whatever like like it's it's always been like like i'll look at things and go i love this art and then i'll realize oh yeah bob weacek inked it like like he's always been a common factor in art i've liked so his inks always seem to enhance like great and fantastic pencilers for me this art team like i mentioned it got me to read silver surfer as a book on a regular basis again and for that, basically, it gets an A for a grade for the first story. For the backup story, the art's nice. I don't know that T-Bear and Hitch go super great together. And even though I, I adore early Brian Hitch, it's still kind of wonky and like we discussed. So B- minus for the backup story. So my overall grade for the main story is a 93%. It's an A-. And so I'm just going to say A minus overall. But if you were following my thoughts on the backup story, the backup story got a 78%, which is a C plus overall. I'm going to give the cover an A. Like, like I said, I saw this on the stand and it caught my eye immediately. I thought, the, you know, it's a great cover. Surfer versus Hulk, you know, got my attention. I'm in, you know, read the book several months and months until uh, Garney left or however long that was. The story, I'm also going to give that an A. Like like Derek said, basic, you know, hero versus hero, but there's some, you know, slight differences. They don't team up at the end. It's kind of a more of a emotional conclusion in a way, which I think is still satisfying. The backup story, I'm with Derek. I, I'm going to give that a C. Like, it's, you know, it, it's just not my thing. Like Mike said, if, I feel like you could remove Surfer, insert Spider-Man, and it would play out exactly the same. Like, you know, web lines instead of paracosmic, like, nothing changes. The art for the backup story, like, I don't have the same appreciation for it as Derek. Like, I like Hitch. I think he's great. It, it's weird to me that, like, several years from this, he's going to go on to do The Authority, which I really like the artwork in that. But like like Derek said, this is early days. There's some shots where like it looks like Surfer's head is like a beat up mashed potato. It just it's, <laughs> it's real funky, man. So 
I hate to do it because it's itch and I like his work, but I'm going to give this art for this backup story a C, and that kind of that kind of hurts me to do that. But you know, I, it is what it is. And then just for the book overall, like because you know I don't like math, you know, <laughs> the heck with math. I'm giving the over the book an overall grade of an A, a solid A. Okay. Never mind the backup story. You can skip that stuff. <laughs> what about you, Mike? Uh, the cover I'll give an A minus. Like I mean, I I like it, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I think I've seen a lot of like Silver Surfer covers, and I've seen a lot of Hulk covers, and I've seen a lot of Silver Surfer and Hulk like fighting someone covers. So like you know, it's pretty good. Like I but uh, I I just feel like it's just kind of you know standard in terms of concept. The the story for the the uh, first story uh, I'll I'll also give an A minus. Like I mean, again, it's pretty straightforward. Hulk versus Surfer. But I think the characterization and the writing really make it help it stand out. I mean, it's Demetrius. He's great. Like, you know, so he can make even the most straightforward and basic concepts seem really interesting and compelling. Yeah, the art, too. Like, I really like uh, Garney. And uh, like, I think he, that's a solid A minus. So I think the the first story plus the cover is an A minus. The second story, um, story-wise, I'll give it, yeah, like a C, probably. Like, I, I've read this story before, and it, I mean, it's not even, like I said, I, I feel like Surfer's kind of like, uh, you know, like instead of, you know, just just by virtue of what his, you know, characterization was at the moment, it's kind of, I feel like he's kind of cold to, like, you know, the, the lesson he's supposed to be learning or whatever, and maybe it's supposed to be subtle, but I guess like, you know, maybe it, it doesn't come across that well. Yeah. The art's okay. Like I, I was kind of like, Oh wow, this is Brian Hitch. Like, wow, this is like a far away from like, you know, ultimates and like, you know, what, what he'd eventually get be known for. Like, yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's not, I don't think I like it as much as Garney's art, but like it, it's maybe a B. So like, I mean, altogether, I think it kind of averages out to like a B plus maybe altogether, but like, I did enjoy reading it. And like I said, I'm very familiar with this era of Marvel comics. I was buying like Spider-Man and X-Men at this time. And yeah, like I'm, I'm glad, you know, uh, Justin, you brought this one because it made me, you know, seeing the recap page made me really nostalgic for the style at the time. So I had a recap page on my belt. It was the style. <laughs> I had a fold-out recap page, which was the style at the time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. So uh, now we're on our independent title. I'm, I'm independent. Yeah, me too. I'm, wh whatever you said, independent. Hey, what do you say we both be independent together, huh? So go ahead, Mike. Tell us what you, you brought for the independent comic. I brought Street Fighter Two number four, published in uh, May of twenty May of twenty uh, two thousand and five, published by Udon Studios. Cover price of also two ninety five, which was you know the the normal price of comics back in two thousand five. But Justin had a, a double sized issue for two ninety five, so I'm yep. um, yeah. But I mean, at least mine does have a backup story, too, but it's just less pages. So the writer was uh, Ken uh, Siu Chong, penciler Alvin Lee. Uh, the inker is meth, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's M meth. M M3TH. Yeah, M3TH. Yeah, so okay. whoever it's that is. It's, 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 
it's weird, like, like, and, and like, the letterer is cyber graphics. Like, I, you know, sometimes I notice, like, because I, I remember I was trying to, sorry to interrupt, but I was, I was, I remember I was trying to figure out, like, who inked, like, certain issues of Confederacy of Dunces, that it was, like, the same thing, where it was, like, some kind of collective. It's almost like a studio, or, you know, like, it wasn't just, like, my, my guess is that means it wasn't just one dude. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like a, that it was uh -huh. a studio of dudes, and when Alvin Lee turned in pages, like they all were, you know, working on yeah. the pages. Well, I mean, they're 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 castoffs from Dreamwave, so that means yeah. you know they probably had an army of like you know, you know, people working to do all the other stuff. So yeah, yeah. But but uh, and the the colorist was uh, Espen uh, Grundingern. So uh, I think like when you wrote your notes for it, like you didn't have a title for the main story in this. But like I consulted my trade of these of okay. this series, okay. and the, the, the this chapter is titled uh, Master Gen's Wish. Oh, okay. So I guess that okay. that cool. serves as the title for this issue. Okay. But uh, but yeah, this is this is kind of a no. It's I guess it's a done done in one, but it is part of a like part of a larger story that was like ongoing in this book at the time so I'll, I'll read the summary I wrote for it on his quest to defeat Akuma the man who murdered his master Ryu has sought out the elderly former assassin Gen Gen recounts a tale to Ryu of the time he and a young Akuma met in battle and Gen soundly defeated him Ryu wishes to know more about Gen's combat mindset and Gen agrees to train him briefly check in with a subplot of Shadaloo Agent Juni's infiltration of the U.S. Interpol branch and her posing as Guile's assistant Gibson before returning to Ryu's tutelage under Gen. Gen appraises Ryu's technique and form and the two have a brief battle. While Ryu acquits himself admirably, ultimately Gen lands the mock death blow and instructs Ryu that he must be just as merciless towards Akuma. Ryu does not want to sink to using the same killing intent, the Satsui no Hado, as uh, Akuma does, and hopes for a better option. He thanks Gen for his input and leaves that night. Gen senses someone watching and dismisses his young charges Yun and Yang for the night, and then goes to the roof of his restaurant, where he finds Akuma lurking. Akuma is charting Ryu's progress and also laments that Gen is in failing health and no longer a proper challenge to him. Gen admits this, but says he would rather die fighting than succumb to his disease, and Akuma agrees to a final match with him. The two utilize their most powerful attacks on each other, Gen's Zanai and Akuma's Shun Goku Satsu, or Instant Hell Murder, or Raging Demon, whichever name you prefer to call it, and Gen thanks Akuma for a dignified end. Akuma vanishes into the night, and Gen retires to briefly trim his bonsai trees before collapsing. In Mexico, Chun-Li and Kami are on a mission to investigate Shadaloo, and Kami awakens from a mysterious dream of her past. She joins Chun-Li for breakfast, but they are interrupted by a phone call from Yun and Yang, who tearfully inform Chun-Li that Master Gen has passed away. And then there's the backup story, uh, which is titled, um, Welcoming Party. In the past, Kami has only recently joined Delta Red, and her teammate Lita has a bone to pick with her. When they spar, Lita can tell Kami is holding back, and she tells Delta Red's leader, Colonel Wolfman, that this demonstrates a lack of trust on Kami's part. The next sparring session, Lita goads Kami into going all out, 
and is soundly defeated when a younger woman unleashes their full potential. Cammy is horrified that she might have hurt Lita, but Lita sits up and instead thanks Cammy for finally giving her best and trusting her. So yeah, like this was, you know, the the main plot of the Udon Street Fighter comic was basically Ryu's quest for uh, to defeat Akuma, who had like murdered him and Ken's master Goken. So like you know, in the this this Street Fighter Two is shockingly the second series that Udon released. Like their their first initial Street Fighter comic was just called Street Fighter, and that lasted I think for like fourteen issues. Then they took a break, and then they did Street Fighter Two. And that's what, the, you know, this is the second series and, you know, Ryu's like quest is still ongoing. And uh, yeah, he was basically he, this part of the quest. He was like investigating like people who either pushed him like in combat or like had some kind of knowledge of like Akuma's like past or whatever. So, you know, he stops in to talk to Gen because Gen is someone who had defeated Akuma in the past. And like, I always like this issue because Gen's always been one of my favorite street fighter characters. And I think he gets like a lot of like fan aura in this series. And, you know, I think in general, like Udon really treats Street Fighter with a lot of, you know, respect and they, they respect the game canon and they like, you know, it, it, this is kind of like a, the Udon Street Fighter is kind of like a ultimate like Street Fighter, for lack of better term. It's like they, they use the game canon as a springboard to tell a like, you know, idealized version of the story almost like and like it's it's it's. Uh, I think like their Street Fighter comics are a good example of how to do like a licensed comic, like right, basically, like, you know, up there with, you know, IDW's handling of like Ninja Turtles and Transformers for the most part. And like, you know, maybe Archie's handling of Sonic and like, you know, they it's someone who knows the canon like backwards and front and who is also a like, you know, a good writer. And, you know, they, with pretty great art for the most part. And, like, you know, I've always had a lot of respect for Udon's, like, uh, take on Street Fighter. You know, what about you guys? Like, what are your, you know, thoughts on this? I, I like this book. I mean, I was reading these as they were coming out. So I, I'd share your opinions on them. Like, I, I have a lot of respect for this and, and enough that they, you know, to me, I mean, at least the the... I don't know if this is apocryphal or what, but like, I mean, th this is so good. This, you know, ostensibly licensed Western interpretation of Street Fighter was so good that elements of it became canon in the Capcom games, right? Like, I mean, that's that's my understanding of it. More, more or less, yeah. Like, I mean, well, they, they took stuff that was only hinted at at the games and, like, kind of made it, like, you know, yes, like, this is, this is the yeah. way it is. Yeah, like, I mean, in the games, it's until, like, honestly, until this comic, like, it was only hinted that, like, Chun-Li had been a student of Gen's, like, vaguely, but this comic said yes, like, he did train her at some point, so... I mean, this is that era where, you know, they're they're starting to release multiple covers for the same issue. Like the the four A cover is is Ryu and Gen, like you know, on opposing sides of the cover, like they're about to get into a fight, and then you kind of have this, you know, visual image of Akuma in the background. So it's like, I you know, for me, it's like 
the the layout of the cover is tried and true and and almost iconic and and there's you know there's a nice balance of imagery and everything like you know it's like basically for all intents and purposes it it, it could very well, I mean, I know this isn't the entire intent, but it's like, you know, you've probably seen things like this before where characters are in the palm of people's hands, you know, like, and it's just, it's done in a an anime manga style and that fits the subject matter. And so it's, you know, I mean, everything kind of is as it should be. I mean, as far as the, the story itself, I mean, the, the story between you know, Ryu and Gen, and then as it transitions to Akuma and Gen's final battle is really solid. I mean, the, the only things that I can criticize is like, you know, I thought it was interesting, like the, the technique, but I, I think so, some things were hard to read in terms of like, you know, Gen had a lot of these translucent word balloons, and I think they were used to represent captions, or at least, you know, what I kind of took it as is like the 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 way they represented like thought, internal thoughts in Dune, like like I kind of just heard it as like Gen whispering to himself. You know what I mean? Like 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 in those sequences in yeah, Dune, you I know, guess, yeah. and 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 like I thought that was interesting and and not a technique that was often used. But then I kind of thought, well, that's probably because it's hard to read, right? And then the other thing that was kind of hard to read for me was, you know, Akuma's text because it's it's red text, which I get it. He's he's you know the demon basically, like he's got to be menacing, but it's red text on a black balloon and like. It works, but again, I, I, you know, it's like one of those things where you, 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 you have to, I don't know, for me, I mean, maybe it's just old man eyes or whatever, but for me, I'm like, oh, I kind of had to like really hunker down and be like, okay, what am I reading here? You know, like, and, and really, you know, give it my full attention as opposed to like a standard word balloon. Cause it, it was almost like you were translating something because of the way it was visually put down on the page. What about you, Justin? This is my first foray into the world of Street Fighter Udon comics, but you and Derek have talked these up over the years, so I was kind of curious to finally see what this was all about. I'm familiar with some Street Fighter lore, so I kind of, you know, I got the gist of it. Like, I know what's going on. The only thing I had questions about was I was like, who is this cute, nerdy schoolgirl chick with the big tits? Like, like, I didn't know what was going on there. Yeah, that, like I said, that was a subplot. Like, she is, like, Guile's secretary, and she got, like, kidnapped by, like, that Shadaloo agent and, like, replaced, like, in, like, Interpol or whatever. So, like, that that was a subplot that was, like, going on. Charlie Nash, Interpol. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> now, Char Charlie Nash is, quote-unquote, dead at this point. Like, right, you know, right. so... I mean, the, the, the Genakuma fight just has a very Vader, Obi-Wan, you know, feel to it. You know, the whole Star Wars thing. You yeah. Know? Like, uh -huh. like it's it's like and, and almost as much as, you know, I guess I guess that makes Ryu Luke in that equation, which, you know, works for me. You know, like that that fits in my headcanon or whatever, you know, I I mean, the only thing I thought was a little clunky was the whole like dream sequence or whatever it is with cami killer b and the whole nine yards like that that seems a little shoehorned into this but you know i and and i i i mean i don't know the 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 backup is kind of like an afterthought like it, it doesn't 
it doesn't seem that necessary and it's not part of the main story it's just kind of like you, you know i think setting up like oh this is how this is how cammy joined delta red group like she's part of mi6 the end you know like like that's you know it, it just seems like that's kind of like pay, a paint by numbers backup i guess yeah well, that, that was a cool thing about these comics is that they always had a backup issue that was like, you know, three to five pages long, mm -hmm. a backup story that was three to five pages long. And like it, they they were almost exclusively like character building, like, you know, like things or something that like, you know, added an extra dimension to something you had already read or like maybe provided a little context for it. I think. If I had my choice, I would have done again backup story, considering mm. this is the issue he dies in. But right, like right. They, the the f issues before this, they had like two again backup stories because he had been like in and out of this comic. Like Chun Li visits him in an earlier issue and like talks with him and stuff. So like they already had like a couple backup stories of him tr training like little little girl Chun Li and whatever, but. But like, I guess, you know, I guess that Cammy, you know, scene is in there to like justify like the Cammy backup story. maybe. Right, so. right, right. And and it's also to justify the the 4B cover, which is just Cammy, right? Like the, yeah. the and then and then I guess the 4C cover is like the black and white version of of the 4A cover. So it's not it's not quite as crazy as, as it is today where it's like, you know, they've got like covers A through Z or whatever craziness like like that goes on today but you know it's enough that we can keep track of but i mean i i, I think 4a is the one that actually re reflects the the contents of the the main story that you'll find within you know and i i think the art you know is 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 good and it, it's also it's 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 also got substance in addition to the style i guess is the best way to put it like the you know so, sometimes i feel like some of those dreamwave transformers comics it's a lot of style and no substance you know like the storytelling is weak you know it's it it, it doesn't flow from panel to panel but i think like in this it, it's it's that's not the case at all you know like that they they might have unique ways of going about showing things but i think it's all easily followable and and i think that's part of the manga influence but it's also how do i explain it like i i feel like alvin lee learned the right lessons from his influence if that makes sense where it's not yeah. again it's it's not just the style that he's aping it's also the substance you know it's also the storytelling techniques and you know it's like it, it's not western you know like the the panels are all kind of like you know batman villain-esque where everything's like crooked and tilted you know it's all the enterprise when it gets hit by a photon torpedo like all the all the panels are crooked and weird when they're in the middle of these fights and 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 having any type of intense action but you can you can follow everything and 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 the panels have a chronology and they all make sense you know so it's like i mean the only thing to me like i said that got a little clunky was that there's that big splash of the killer bee cami dream sequence which looks like it's on the golden gate bridge and i'm just kind of like okay that's a little like like i feel like okay. that robs the splash of of master gen being dead on the last page it's like if they had figured out some other way to 
show the dream sequence, like where maybe it was, uh, I don't know, like 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 a series of of clouds or you know, like like something where it's it could have been a full image, but maybe a broken up a bit more, or I, I don't know what, but it it just seemed like to me like having a splash and then having a splash two pages later that is more important to the story, like where the kids are crying on the phone going, oh, you know, Master Gan's dead, and you see his dead body on the floor, like that should have been the most impactful page. And because you had a splash like two pages before it, it kind of, to me, it kind of robs that moment of its proper emphasis, I guess. And, and that splash also references another backup story from a previous issue where it's shown like how Cammy was like, you know, abducted by like that woman Rose and like, you know, wiped of her memory and like mm. Shadaloo's brainwashing and stuff. Cause that like, they have a fight on the golden gate bridge and that's like, you know, Rose defeats her and takes her with her. So so, I mean, maybe that should have been the backup story they chose for this issue, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe it just didn't, like, pan out that way. Or maybe, you know, the art they always have a different artist on the backup story. So maybe they had to shuffle things around or whatever. But, you know, I, I, I've always, like, Gen has always been one of my favorite Street Fighter characters. And the reason why is, like, like I mean, he... He originates in the original Street Fighter, like the one no one played, like the Street Fighter one. Like he was a computer opponent and you you, eventually they made him playable in Street Fighter Alpha 2. And like I had a sort of like thing like you had, Derek, with like the Street Fighter Alpha animated movie, because like Street Fighter Alpha 2 is like all its box art and all its like promos had like, you know, Ryu and Akuma like face to face, like front and center. So you're like, oh, man, are they going to have like a big fight in this game? Yeah, this this is going to be awesome. Yeah, but in Street Fighter Alpha 2, like, Akuma's final boss is Gen, and Gen's final boss is Akuma. And, like, you know, I didn't know much about Gen, so, like, when I played the game through with Akuma, I was like, why is Akuma's final boss this old man? Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then eventually it's like, you know, you you figure, like, you figure it out by, like, playing the game and you're like, oh, man, like, Gen must... Gen must be a real badass if, like, you know, Akuma considers him, like, a worthy opponent or whatever. So, you know, they 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 fill out his backstory a lot, how he's, like, this, you know, legendary assassin or whatever. And, you know, he is, he is one of the people who trained Chun-Li. Like, he is, you know, he is on Akuma's level, basically. So, like, you know, that's... I Once I realized that, like, I was like, oh, you know, you know what? This Gen guy's pretty cool, actually, so... But yeah, and you know the backup story's fine, but and you know it adds a little to like Delta Red and Cammy's characterization. I just I think I wouldn't have chosen it for this issue, basically. Oh, to pair it, it doesn't doesn't gel too well or complement yeah. it. I guess is the right word. Right? Yeah, and like you said, like I think Alvin Lee's art is is great. Like I think he 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 avoids the pitfalls of like Pat Lee. Like, yep. I mean, like, yep. you know, he, he has all the style, but he also has the technical excellence and substance yeah. too. Yeah. So I, I think the only awkward panel, I think, and like, you know, they try to, you know, he does a good job of portraying like the moves from the games and everything and his art and whatever. But I think the one awkward panel is the one where Ryu's doing like a crouching punch and Gen's blocking it. And I'm like, I see what you're doing. Like you're doing like a crouching, like light punch from the game or whatever but it just looks like awkward and something someone wouldn't do in a real fight mm, so mm, mm. like I, yeah. I i see what you're saying yeah but other than that i think you know the art's really good i like i really like it and you know i think 
I've never looked too far into this, but maybe you know, Derek, but isn't like Udon like are all like cast offs from Dreamwave, aren't they? Like they, they kind of like broke off from Dreamwave and formed their own like studio. I think and, so. Like, yeah. Yeah. And like people say that like they named it Udon because Udon stands for like United Dreamwave Outcast Nation or something. Oh. Like, I, I guess that's <laughs> I, like, I, the, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what the rumor is. So like, I don't know if they had a falling out with Patley and the, or they, saw where things might be going with Dreamwave and like I don't know the whole backstory but that's kind of like what I always hear about them so it's and it's I, interesting that they still like like you were just saying like to this day they still I mean they, they seem to transition from you know I guess for lack of a better term you know floppies to like just they, they kind of put out original graphic novels every once in a while yeah. right I mean, and they work for Capcom too like yeah. Capcom like you know outsources some of their like you know promo art and like you know concept art to like udon artists and mm-hmm. whatever so like they get they get plenty of work from capcom so but yeah i mean that uh, you guys have anything else or what no i mean i i think i'm ready to grade let's see so for the cover you know again multiple covers can can potentially hurt this this section of the grading but i'm just going to focus on the primary cover and back when primary covers were still a thing I, and again, like I said, I think the iconography of it is iconic. I still hesitate to say this is an iconic Street Fighter II cover. Just kind of like what you were saying. Like, I, I think the general response is if you don't know who who Gen is, right, you kind of think, oh, it's Ryu and some old man. But if, say, this cover had Ryu and Ken against one another and then Akuma in the background, then then maybe I would put it up for like iconic status or something like that. But since it's not quite iconic, I went a B plus for the cover. The story grade, again, the Udon comics, and I I don't think I'm exaggerating, have been the single greatest vehicle for telling the Street Fighter story outside of the video games. And they're moving, they're captivating and intelligent, so much so that even though they were created outside of Japan for a Western audience, they are considered canon in some cases for Capcom. So I gave an A plus for the story. The interior art grade, the storytelling is solid along with a cool anime manga style that makes sense for the source material. And the only thing I found somewhat clunky was that insertion of the subplots like the Agent Junie that Justin got confused about and then the the Kami Killer B stuff. So I gave an A minus for the interior art. For the backup, I just kind of C for the backup overall. Like I'm, I'm not too concerned with it. So uh, I'm just going to say uh, 93% overall gets an A- minus for the overall grade for Street Fighter II issue number four. Yeah, the, I'd, I'd grade the, like, the main A cover, yeah, like a, you know, A-, minus. like I think, uh, you know, it, it's a basic setup, but it works, you know, re- and it tells the story of the issue, you know, Ryu versus Gen and with Akuma looming over them, so... You know that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, and the other the other art cover is you know it's okay, but it's just you know just a cami, and that's basically it. So the story, like I said, this is one of my favorite single issues of this comic, so I'm, I'll, I'll give that an A. And the, the art is also very good. Like I like Alvin Lee's art on Street Fighter, you know, Udon comics. So like I'll give that an A. So I think, and maybe maybe that like I said, I think the poorly chosen backup story might drag it down a little, but I'll, I'll give this a solid like A, if not an a plus overall i'll give the cover a b i think it's pretty nice story i'll give that a b like i said i know some street fighter lore but not a lot but i was able to follow 
I don't know, like 95% of what was going on with no foreknowledge of previous series or issues or anything. For the book overall, like, I give it a solid B. I think it was, you know, it was fine. Like, I just, I mean, you guys know me, like, I I like Street Fighter, but I was always more of a Mortal Kombat fan. So, you know, <laughs> I, I just don't have the connection to this that you guys obviously do. Yeah. I, yeah, I was, Street, Street Fighter comics are A comics, and Mortal Kombat <laughs> comics are F comics. <laughs> For the most part, yes. Well, I was just speaking of Mortal Kombat. Uh, I was going to say, yet another reason the friggin' Legend of Chun-Li movie is friggin' terrible. Like, you know, they cast mm. friggin' Robin Cho as Gen. So, you know, you had to, like, a instead of an old man, he was just some, like, you know mid 40s guy like and he lost to balrog so i mean blah 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 we say well that's um i mean i i, I think that's going to cover it for this episode of back to the bins if you've enjoyed listening to us on assistant editors month you can feel free to come on over to the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com if you want to listen to more podcast content. And if you want to listen to some videos on the chronological history of comics, you can find those on YouTube or on my blogspot, hocof.blogspot.com. That's short for History of Comics on Film. And I guess that's good night. So good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Yay. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Now, who do we contact about getting paid? <laughs> 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 <laughs>